Hey, this is Andrew DiMazio, lead pastor of Rose Church here in Portland, Oregon. Welcome to our podcast. Our mission here at Rose is building big people, becoming like Jesus in community while growing in our faith. Whoever you are, wherever you are, I pray today's message challenges you and encourages you on your walk with Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy today's podcast. Uh, hey, if you are new, uh, my name is Andrew, my wife and I, Julia, we are the pastors here at Rose. It's our honor to have you, however you got in this room. Um, we're so glad that you're here, um, whether it's your first time ever in a space and place like this or you come every single Sunday. Um, we're going to jump into the Word. We're going to read the Bible together. And so if you have a Bible with you, why don't you grab it? How many actually, like, old school, like, bring a Bible with you on Sundays? Like, how many, like, not the one in front of you. The one in the pew does not count. <laughs> like, your Bible. Like, you brought a Bible. Like, nine of you. Okay. So the rest of you, grab your phone. Turn it on. Go to you version. Um, if not, we have a big old sky Bible there for you. We'll read it together. And if you're newer today and you do not own a Bible, do not have a Bible, the one right in front of you, that one's yours. You can take that, read it. If you need one, want one to read together, that, that Bible's yours. You can take it. If you've taken one every Sunday since you've been here, bring the rest back. <laughs> so some other people can read the Bible as well. But uh, we're going to jump into the Word today. And we just started a new series last Sunday called Advent. Advent. And obviously... Christmas is coming up. Hopefully you have done your Amazon shopping. Uh, how many are all done? You've finished shopping. <laughs> like six of you. Uh, how many have even started? Like you haven't even, Lord help them. Um, uh, all of you guys are probably giving me gift cards. That's why. Um, the gift card givers. Um, how many like gift cards? Like you want a gift card. How many get really upset when you get a gift card? You're like, you don't care at all. So you just raise your hand for everything. Um, but we started a new series last Sunday. Obviously, it's Christmas right now, but more than that, it's Advent. It's Advent for us. And so as followers of Jesus, if you are one in the room today, this is uh, called Advent. And Advent is just a word meaning awaiting the coming one, or we are waiting for Jesus. So it's the four Sundays or the four weeks leading up to the birth of Jesus um, called Christmas now. And uh, Advent is about hope, love, peace, and joy. That's kind of the four things that circle Advent. So for those of us that are followers of Jesus, this isn't just Christmas season, this is Advent season. As we celebrate, as we look forward to, as we put our hope in the person of Jesus coming. And so last week we looked at Luke chapter 1, the story of Mary, uh, the birth of Jesus, the story of Mary, and the comparison between Mary and Zechariah. That when God speaks to us and God steps in, we are people that want to respond like Mary in faith. We do not want to respond like Zechariah in doubt. That was last week. Today, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Uh, if you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 2 will be on the screen as well. But this story, Matthew chapter 2, is pretty much the Christmas story, right? This is where we get the nativity scene from and where we read the magi and, you know, the animals and all that kind of stuff. So this is kind of the, the hallmark text for Christmas, but I like to shed some light on some things that maybe you have not seen in this story. Um, Matthew chapter 2, here we go, verse 1. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men or some magi from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone else in Jerusalem. He called a meeting. Look who he calls the meeting with. He calls a meeting, leading priests, 
teachers of the religious laws, like pastors, theologians, like religious people that know the scriptures, and asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, Isaiah. As you, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the Magi, or the wise men, and he learned from them that the time for the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so I can worship too. After this interview, the Magi went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy, Advent, filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened up their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, as my kids used to say, frankincense, or, uh, Frankenstein, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. Another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. This morning, I would like to talk from the subject, how to seek Jesus. How to seek Jesus. Let's pray as we jump into Matthew Chapter 2. Father, I thank you for your work. God, I thank you for every single person in the sound of my voice. God, I pray. God, front to the back. God, every single person in this room. God, in overflow rooms, wherever people are listening from. Father, would you speak to us? Would you reveal yourself to us? God, I pray that this would not just be another Sunday, another moment, another just church day. God, I pray that your spirit would be evident in the room. Holy Spirit, I know that I'm not the only preacher in the room, but you are the ultimate preacher. But Holy Spirit, I pray you'd preach to every heart, every mind. Would you open our ears to hear your word today? Jesus, we thank you for this amazing, amazing story. In your mighty name I pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Um, when you take like preaching classes or homiletical classes or communication classes, one of the things they tell you that bad communicators do is you divide the room. You make statements to divide the room all the time. It's bad communication. Well, I'd like to divide the room uh, for a moment. Uh, there's two groups of people in the room. I know there's many more, but there's two groups of people in the room, really. There are those that like to be surprised. Those that like surprise parties. Those that like surprise gifts. Those that like to be surprised. Then there are those that will defriend you if you surprise them. So how many in the room, you are someone who likes surprise parties. You like to be surprised, surprise gifts. Like you like to be surprised. Wow, a lot of people. Last service, it was like four. All the others that you will defriend someone, like, do not surprise me. I do not like being surprised. I'm like, don't come to my house. Some of you, like, are so, like, not wanting to lift your hand so people don't even surprise you while knowing why you don't like being surprised. Like, I don't want to lift my hand because they're going to do it. I don't like being surprised. When I was younger, I realized I liked being surprised. Surprise me with a trip or an adventure or a gift. or I love being surprised. Now that I'm old, I'm like, leave me alone. I don't want to be surprised because I want to know who's there, who's coming. Like, I was like funny with like surprise gifts. You're like, you thought I would wear that? <laughs> Especially if you like guess their size. You're like, you thought that was my size? <laughs> no, 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 no. That's all they had left. You know, like, 
I would never know. I'm so sorry. Um, now that like I'm getting older, I'm, I don't want to be surprised anymore. I want to like, who's coming? Where are we going? What's happening? Do I want to be there? What time do I need to leave? What's my escape route? What's my excuse to leave early? What kid's going to be sick? Like I'm, I'm maneuvering my way through this event, right? Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to get my escape going. So now that I'm older, I'm, I don't want to be surprised. Um, for all of you that lifted your hand that do not want to be surprised in any way, shape, or form, uh, you would hate Christmas. You would hate this day in Matthew 2 because it's almost like Jesus is like, surprise, I'm here. Like there is no countdown. We now have Advent. We now have little cute calendars that you can open up for the 25 days till Christmas. We have countdowns now. There was no countdown. He just showed up. Could you imagine all of you that lifted your hand like don't surprise me? Could you imagine like on your day off? You're like at home, quiet, have like Netflix or show brought up, got your food, and you hear like a knock at the door. It's like 27 of your friends. Be like, surprise, day off is with us. You'd be like, no, no, it's not. That's, that's why I call it day off, off from you people. You know, like, like it'd be so overwhelming, but this is, to be honest, like kind of what Jesus did. He like just showed up out of nowhere, unannounced, Bam, he's right there. It was almost like those people showing up to us, you have to do something with them now. Like they are there. Jesus has made a statement. There was no announcement. There was no countdown. There was no 25 days, prepare yourself. He just shows up, is born, makes an announcement, and now you and I, everybody in this room has to make a decision. What will you do with Jesus? What's interesting is like, I think old school atheists, the argument was, did Jesus ever live? What, is he real? Is he fake? Did he ever walk this earth? That argument is long, long gone. It is now a historical fact that this individual walked the earth. I love it when people are like, I don't think he did. I'm like, what year is it? 2023. Where did you get that date from? We've been counting since he left. The reason why it's not year whatever is because we've been counting since that man left the earth. So like to ignore Jesus at this point is to ignore history. Now, the argument is he God, a whole different thing. But the fact that this individual named Yeshua up, you know, destroyed the Roman Empire and flipped the earth upside down is a historical fact now. So now it's almost like Jesus is saying, I made my move. What are you going to do? It's like he's playing chess. I made my move. Your turn. What are you going to do? I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. If Christianity is true, the utmost importance. If it's false, who cares? Of no importance. The only thing it can't be is kind of important. Why? Because Jesus has made his chest move. Jesus has made a statement on, I'm here. I've come. What will you do? And every one of us in this room and, and, and every human breathing on this planet has to choose, what will you do with Jesus? You have to do something with him. We, we can't just dismiss him anymore. You have to do something with him. And what's interesting is most of the Gospels, especially in the New Testament, um, 
gospel stories, a lot of the stories are juxtapositions. They're this or that. They're two things pitted against each other. Last week, we looked at the juxtaposition between Mary and Zechariah. Now we're looking at, all, we're going to get into it, three different characters. And essentially, Matthew 2 is making a statement to you and I, or an option, how will you seek Jesus? He's here. He's come. What will you do? How will you seek? And I want to submit three options. I want you to see three things from this text on how we can seek Jesus. Number one, we can seek Jesus like Herod, which is to kill him. We can seek like Herod, which is to kill him. Do you notice the very interesting story in Matthew 1, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says the Magi show up in Jerusalem, tell King Herod, where is the king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. The next sentence is, Herod is greatly disturbed and freaks out. Why would he freak out? Let me give you some history because I've read a lot of history books this week about King Herod. His name was actually Herod the Great. So any history you read about this first century, like Roman world, his name was Herod, but he's known as Herod the Great. Actually, there's a lot of good things about Herod. He, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the temple that Jesus teaches in, in Luke 4, Herod built. Herod is the king of Jerusalem. You know what Herod's nickname was in history? The king of the Jews. Herod's nickname was the king of the Jews. He's actually the one that built the temple that Jesus teaches in later. Herod, oh, wow, my voice just did something weird. <laughs> Herod, oh man, <coughs> puberty's been rough. <laughs> Herod, 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 there's this phrase in Greek, and I can't say it in Greek, but there's this phrase around Jerusalem in Greek, and the phrase was this, it's better to be Herod's pigs than Herod's sons. And the phrase came from because every single son that Herod had, he killed. Every one of them. He only had daughters. Because there are some good sides of Herod. He would actually, like, uh, lower taxes during war. Like, there are some good historical things that Herod did to his people. But the worst thing about him is he was scared for people to take his throne. So any son he had that could potentially take his throne, killed him. Any ruler, any governor, any mayor, any religious leader or, or political leader that got fame, he would kill him. Because his statement was, this is my throne and no one can take it. That was Herod's personal character flaw as he loved control. He loved his throne. And what did we read in Matthew 2, verse 2? The Magi come and say, we've come to worship the king of the Jews. Herod hears, I'm the king of the Jews. That is my nickname. What are you talking about? There's another king of the Jews. Because this is what you have to wrestle with right now. Many of us, we can seek Jesus like Herod because he's, we see him as a threat to our throne. Because Herod is making a statement. How can there be another king? I'm king. I'm the king of the Jews. How dare there be another king of the Jews? So I want to ask you today, in what areas of your life are you king of and Jesus is a threat to your throne? Because hear me, the coming of Jesus is either a declaration of worship or warfare. So sometimes Jesus will take over your throne and to you, he is deemed, I'm now in war with you. Yes, he is, because there can only be one king. There's only one throne and there will be one king. And sometimes we have areas of our life, areas of our being that we are king over. 
So when Jesus steps in, he's either a gift to you or a threat to you. Well, man, if I start going to church and I start serving, man, Jesus is going to start talking about my money. And that's my money. Oh, he's a threat to your income. Man, if I start reading the Bible and start serving Jesus, he's going to talk to me about my sexuality. My sexuality is mine. I, I, then he's, you are serving him like Herod because any area he wants and you tell him back, I'm king. I'm king. You can't have my throne. I'm king. You can't have the area. I'm king. And what areas are you seeking Jesus like Herod sought Jesus to remove him? To have them removed from those areas. Because Jesus can be viewed either as a gift to your life or as a threat to your life. Because there can only be one king. There cannot be two kings. Kingdoms fall apart when there's two kings. Kingdoms go to war within themselves when there's two kings. There can only be one king. And Christmas is Jesus making a statement. You might have been king before me. But now that I'm here, I am the king. And if you want to receive me, either you will come at me with worship or come at me with warfare because I am the king. Maybe this Christmas you need to be reminded you are not the king. You are not the center. You are not on the throne. If you start serving Jesus, he is the king. He is the Lord. And maybe he's coming to dethrone you in some areas. So the first option that we have, that the Matthew chapter 2 is telling us that we can come and seek him like Herod, which is to kill him. Now, many of us are like, I would never do that. Let me, let me keep showing you some stuff. Number two, not only can we seek him like Herod, which is to kill him. Number two, we can seek him like the priest, which is, is to ignore him. I want to read it again, just so you don't think I'm making it up. Look at Matthew 2, verse 3. King Herod was deeply disturbed. When he heard this, as, as was ever in Jerusalem, he called a meeting for who? The leading priests and teachers of the law. Pastors, prophets, theologians, like Bible people. And he asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea. They said they told him exactly where he was going to be born. And then they quote scripture from Isaiah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not least among the ruling cities of Judah? For a, ru a ruler will come for you. He quotes scripture. And yet, when you go to the end of Matthew 2, who's not there? The priests and the teachers of the law. Shepherds are there. Angels are there. Mary's there. Joseph's there. The animals are there. Every other aspect of the earth is there but the people that should be there. You should be alarmed greatly for those who've been serving Jesus for a long time. To be warned, it is possible to memorize scripture and miss Jesus. They tell him with scripture, this is where he'll be. City, state, Bethlehem, in Judea, this is where he's going to come from. They told him exactly where, and yet they did not go. This should send a chilling a chilling vibe down your spine to know it is possible to memorize scripture and still miss Jesus. It is possible to have the Bible memorized and not know God. This should be a jarring thing for all of us that have been serving Jesus for some time. This is why probably for many of you in the room that you hated Christianity or church as a whole 
until later on in life because you were raised in homes with parents that knew the Bible but lived nothing like it. They could quote scriptures to you. They could tell you what God said. They could tell you where Psalms is. They took you to church. But when you left that building, their personality changed, their demeanor changed, their language changed. And one of the reasons why you had nothing to do with Jesus is because you were raised with priests that wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Because it is possible, friends, to know the Bible, to memorize scripture, and yet miss of all of the people that should have been there, it was the priests and the teachers, and yet they did not go. Why? Because he came in a form they were not ready for. Because as the prophets and teachers were waiting for this Messiah, one day, they all knew, one day, one day, one day, someone's going to come and save us. They thought it was going to be a grown man, warrior Jesus, to come undo Rome, come flip the empire upside down, come start his kingdom. When he gets here, we're going to go to war with the Roman Empire. They had an idea, they had an image of what Jesus was supposed to come like. And yet, he did not come as a grown man. He did not come as an adult. He came as a baby. Could it be how many times in your life you've missed the hand of God because he came in a way you did not expect? That he came in a form you were not ready for. This also proves that God is not in a hurry. He did not show up 33-year-old Jesus and died the next day. God sent a baby knowing it would take that baby 33 years to grow and develop into our Savior, and yet God is making a statement, I am not in a hurry. I will come in forms that you least expected. How many times this year has God tried to answer a prayer, but you dismissed it because it came in a form you were not ready for? It came in a way you did not like. It came through people you did not want. God answers prayers in many different ways. Many different forms. And the reason why the priests were not interested is like a baby. I'm going to see a baby. We're in for the Messiah. And yet he was right there. Why? Because they were too busy. They ignored him. I love um, uh, N.T. Wright in his book, Simply Jesus. He, he kind of has this like fake, fake story about Christmas. He says, could you imagine being a parent and spending all year finding the gift for your child? I mean, Searching and looking and thinking and like the, the gift for your kid. Christmas morning comes, you give them the gift. Maybe six-year-old kid unwraps it, puts the gift back under the tree, and just plays with the wrapping paper the rest of the day. You as a parent be like, hey, that wrapping paper cost me two cents. That gift cost me time. Energy, strategy. Why are you busy playing with the wrapping paper? The point of the wrapping paper was for the gift. And your kid all day Christmas just playing with the wrapping paper. You're like, what are you doing? And he goes on to say, that is the American Christian with Christmas now. We're busy playing with the wrapping paper while we put the gift to the side. We're busy with the carols and the songs and the poems and the lights and the trees and the gifts. And we're busy playing with the wrapping paper while we put the gift to the side. Because we're too busy playing with something that we don't even need. Well, the gift is right there. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. Man, this is challenging. C.S. Lewis says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. 
We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. It says we're ignorant children playing in the mud while infinite joy is right there. Many of us, we can seek Jesus like the priests and just be too busy. Just dismiss him, not even seek him. But we feel good about ourselves because we know scripture. And th this is, I could preach a whole sermon on this one idea. They told other people where to find Jesus, yet they did not find them themselves. How many people that were raised in church can tell others, oh, this is where you find him, yet you don't find him where you send people? Oh, yeah, you should go to church and you should read your Bible. And you send people where to find Jesus, and you don't even go where you send people. So our first option, how to seek Jesus, is like Herod, we kill him. Just get him out. Second option, we can seek him like the priests, ignore him, dismiss him, give him no time of day. The third option is we can seek him like the Magi, which is to worship him. I don't think anybody in this room wants to come up to an altar and pray afterward, would you pray that I seek him like Herod? I don't think any of us in our heart want to seek him like the priest. So today I want to zoom in on how do we worship like the Magi? How do we seek him like these men named the Magi? I want you to see three things. I want you to see three things on how the Magi Worship time. Why don't you see three phrases that I'll unpack that we read it. We, you probably just skimmed past it, didn't give it two thoughts. But I want you to see three phrases on how we're going to worship like the Magi. Number one, the Bible says that these Magi, these wise men, come from the east. What a seemingly not important detail. When I read it, who cares? From the east. Three times we're told in Matthew 1, verses 1 to 12, three times we're told they're from the east. It says, Magi came from eastern lands. They followed the star from eastern lands, and then they followed the star again to the house which they saw in the east. Three times we're told these men are from the east. And initially you could read that and be like, who cares where they're from? Why does that matter? What a weird Detail, which by the way, when you read the New Testament, there are so many weird details in there. Why does it matter there's six water jugs? Who cares? Why does it matter there was 12 people? Who cares? Why are we told all these very obscure, arbitrary details? They're not random. They're not there for literature. They're there for revelation. So the Bible, God wants us to know, specifically these men are coming from the east. Why? Let's reverse back a few thousand years. Genesis chapter 3. What is Genesis chapter 3? If you don't know, it's the fall of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve take the fruit, they eat it, they fall, sin enters them. And then the Bible says very specifically, go read it. Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says God takes them and leads them out of the garden through the east. Through the east. Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. When Cain kills Abel, the Bible says God sends him and Abel and Cain runs to the east. Genesis 6. The evil in the land were people in the east. Genesis 11, 
when they built the Tower of Babel, they built it toward the east. So sin, once we got kicked out of the garden, every time we make decisions against God's will, it takes us east. It takes us east. It takes us east. Until Genesis 12. Genesis 12 is the story we talked about a few months ago for eight weeks. A man named Abram. God comes to Abram in Genesis 12 and says, I have a land for you. I'm sending you. Follow me. The Bible says he goes toward Negev. Which way, directionally, did Abraham start walking? West. And every time Abraham obeyed God, it took him west. It was like God was making a statement. From Genesis 3 to Genesis 11, humans made decisions to take them east, take them east, take them east. But I will find a man that will start going west, west, west. So the Bible is making a statement to you and I. Christmas is the reminder, no matter how far east you have gone, it is time to come home. No matter how far east life has taken you, it is time to come home. Let me just say it this way. No matter how far east college took you, it's time to come home. No matter how far east that first marriage took you, it's time to come home. No matter how far east you are right now, Christmas is the reminder people in the east can make their way home. People in the east can make their way home. Back to Genesis 3, do you remember what happens when Adam and Eve eat the fruit? They realize they're naked, they're embarrassed, and they run to the trees and they hide. <sighs> Amazing, fascinating. The Bible then says, God comes searching for them, walking in the cool of the day, asking, where are you? Friend, you must be reminded today, sin did not make God run away, it made us run away. God did not leave the garden, we hid. But what happened when sin made us hide? Our God came walking. Our God came searching. Our God came asking, where are you, man? Be reminded today, I'm so thankful we don't serve a God that runs away from sinners. We serve a God that searches them out. We serve a God that seeks sinners and walks toward them. This is a reminder again in Matthew 2. I'm finding people that have gone east and bringing them home. Now, it's absolutely amazing when you read it. And I did so much research this week. Historically, my brain hurts. But did you know that the Magi, we'll talk about it in the next point here in a moment, they're from Persia, Babylon. Do you know how far Babylon to Jerusalem is? 900 miles. It, once again, uh, American heresy is that they showed up to a baby. They did not show up to a baby. They showed up to a two-year-old. That's why Luke 1 says that the shepherds came to see the baby. Matthew 2 says they came to see the child. So remind you, they're not walking into a little baby. I have a two-year-old. He is not Jesus. <laughs> but they walked in to a two-year-old. Do you know why? Because from the day they first saw the star until the day they found him was approximately two years. This should be good news. Because it might take you longer than you wanted, but keep going west. It might take you some weeks, but keep going west. It might take you a year of your time, but keep going west. Let us get out of the American. If it doesn't happen in one Sunday, it wasn't God. It might take some years. It might take some weeks. It might take some over and over and over and over again. It took them two years to find him. Yet they did not stop in the middle. 
They didn't get 400 miles in being like, this is taking too long. Let's go home. They did not stop until they found what they were looking for. Can I submit to all of you that have been coming to church for six months, still searching for Jesus, keep coming. Those that have been, I mean, I've been in church for nine months, I don't feel nothing yet. Keep coming. Keep making decisions that take you west. Keep making decisions that take you west. And it will happen eventually, but it might be longer than you ever wanted. Took them some two years to find Jesus. But God is calling right now people that have gone east. Come home. Not only that, you should be reminded, every time you make a bad decision that takes you east, God's grace is available to take you west. So in the middle of that Friday night, bad decision. You said you would never make again. And you know that just took me east. God is waiting to call you back again. This is not just the call of salvation. This is the call in every moment. That you know that decision just made me go east. God's waiting to call you back home. So this week, if you've made decisions that took you east, come west today. If last night you made some decisions that took you east, come west today. I want you to see that God is calling those from eastern lands home. Second thing I want you to see today is the Bible says that they followed, this would be fun. They followed the star from eastern lands until it stopped over the house where the child was. Did you see that? The middle of Matthew 2 says they followed the star until it stopped over the house where the child was. Now, let's unpack historically who the Magi were. Magi is the Greek word magus, which comes from and turns into the Latin word magician. We get the word magician or sorcery from Matthew 2. These men, by the way, we sing it in around Christmas, it's heresy, um, they're not kings. They're, it's not we three kings, they're not kings. They're witches. They're sorcerers. They're people that look upon the stars. They're palm readers. They're tarot card lovers. They are Ouija board sellers. They would do very well in this city. They would crush here. They were born 2,000 years late because they'd be killing right now in downtown Portland. They're magi, magicians, sorcerers. They're not Jews. They're not Christians. They're not Jesus followers. They're not righteous people. They are witches, sorcerers. You know where they came from? In the Old Testament, the king of Persia looked at the king of Israel and was like, the king of Israel has advisors. They were called priests and prophets. And the king of Persia says, well, I want some advisors too. And they started a school called the School of Magi. Read Daniel 3, when the Bible says after Daniel 1, uh, king Nebuchadnezzar's uh, uh, respect, he put him over the school of the Magi. They, they became Persia's advisors. And what were they? They'd look at the stars. They were your weird aunt on Thanksgiving that showed up being like, on the way here, son, I saw three red lights and the Lord is telling you three no's. Come again? It's the Lord. No, you've been drinking. Um, you need to put down the cocktails. Um, this is these people. They're the weird 
natural earth, science, stars, galaxies, and this is who comes to worship. Not the priests, not the pastors, the men from the east, the sorcerers Jesus finds. I want you to see two things. Number one, how does Jesus lead them to him? A star. Not the Bible. Not scripture. A star. Do you know why? Because he knew their point of worship. Oh, you worship the stars? You worship galaxies? I will hijack the form that you worship. And I will use it to lead you to the actual one who deserves worship. So that is why when you meet any Muslim that has left their faith and started following Jesus, every one of them will tell you, why did you start following Jesus? They talked to me, he talked to me in a dream. I saw Jesus in a dream. You know why? Because the Muslim faith glorifies divinic worship in dreams. So Jesus is like, you worship dreams? I'll meet you right there. How many friends I have that find Jesus while studying science and body and biology? Why? Because they worship their mind. And God's like, you worship? I'll find you right where you worship. Be reminded today that Jesus is not petty. Jesus is not shallow. He loves you so much. He will find the thing that you worship. He will find the thing that you look for. And he will hijack it and use it to lead you to himself. I love some dudes in the room. You're like, I started coming because my girlfriend came. But she doesn't come anymore. Could it be that he hijacked a relationship you worshiped? Like, why have you stayed? And she left because he hijacked your star. And he led you to himself. They followed the star to Jesus. But one key word you must hear today, friend, you must hear this. The Bible says specifically, the star stopped over Jesus. You know, it's interesting um, when the story at the end of Matthew 2, they don't keep following the star. The Bible says at the end, and Jesus spoke to them through a dream, don't go to hair. Jesus did not talk through the star again. Because the only purpose of the star was Jesus. Whew, hear me? Before Jesus, the star was faithfully leading you to him. But after Jesus, if you go back to the star, now it's idolatry. So how many of us, our star, whatever that thing is that got us to Jesus, we are prone to go back to the star. No, 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 don't go back to the wrapping paper. The wrapping paper gave you the gift. The star's job is over. Do not go back to the star. In the beginning, the star faithfully led you, but post Jesus, it is idolatry to go back to the thing. It stopped over the house. Man, I love this. I love Portland so much. It's my favorite city in the world. All my friends are always talking about, bro, are you okay? Is Twitter, is Twitter real? Like, are you safe? Like, it's, it's hilarious. I love, it's my favorite city in the world. Be careful how you talk about my city. I love this city. And it's my favorite thing about this city. We live, I don't know if you know this, in one of the most spiritual cities in the world. I didn't say Christian, I said spiritual. We live in a very, very spiritual city. 
One thing I love about Portlanders is we worship spirituality. If you talk to anybody, like, I'm following the stars, I'm trying to find myself. I might try Gandhi, I might try Jesus, I might try self-help, I might try mindfulness, I might try yoga, I might try this. Like, we, we in Portland, we worship those following stars. Oh, you're trying to find meaning? You're trying to find purpose? Oh, you're trying to find yourself? Yes, follow the stars. Portland just gets upset when the star stops over Jesus. Because we worship spirituality, but we demonize Christianity. So we're okay if the star is leading us about and we're searching, but we're not okay the minute our searching ends because the star stopped over Jesus. Friends, I just want to remind you, you are not spiritual, you're Christian. I know it's semantics, but let's just, let's just remind ourselves, we're not having a spiritual experience. We're not just spiritual beings. We are followers of Jesus. We're not spiritual people. But if you're not careful, it's the air that we breathe. It's the water we swim in. We love spirituality as long as spirituality doesn't turn into Jesus. So some of you, God's calling your cards on the table today because you keep going back to the star because you're more in love with the star than the gift. I want to go back to the star. No, 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 the star did its job because the goal was Jesus. And then the Bible says they, they show up to a two-year-old, Mary. Third phrase I want you to see is they show up, they bow and worship, and they give their gifts. They bow and worship, and they give their gifts. I have a two-year-old. He wants to be worshipped. And I do sometimes because he's so cute. Um, but this child is the only two-year-old that has ever deserved worship. I love the nativity scene because it's such a lie. We buy these nativity scenes. It's so funny. The cows have come home. They're laying down beside Jesus. The camels have laid down. The angels are up above. It's a total lie. Nativity scene is a total lie. Also, by the way, Jesus was not born on December 25th. You know that, right? So you're like, what? <laughs> he wasn't born in December. He's actually born in like April. He's not born in December. The only th but the only thing, the only thing that the nativity scene got right, the only thing they got right is that Jesus is in the center. And every animal and every person and every, everyone surrounding the one in the center. You know, the third thing that Jesus is saying to us this Christmas is anything that you put in the center of your life that is not him is idol worship. Like, how do I know? Pastor, how do I know what's in the center of my life? It's whatever you sacrifice for. Because what, they bow and they give their gifts. Whatever you constantly sacrifice for is a thing you worship. So that's like you worship your job because every time you sacrifice for it, you give for it, you surrender for it. Whatever you put in the center, you will always sacrifice for. And one commentator has written this week, it says that Jesus is the statement, sorry, Christmas is the statement from Jesus that I've come to decenter you. 
Why? Because many of us, let's be honest, come on, man, we're the center. And we expect people to surround us and give us gifts. So sometimes we take that bad theology and apply it to Jesus. Jesus, what are you going to give me? He's like, no, I'm in the center. What are you going to give me? And we come to Jesus for, what am I going to get? What am I going to get? What, are, what gifts are you giving me, Jesus? He's like, no, no, no. I'm in the center. What are you going to give me? Because whatever or whoever you put in the center receives what you sacrifice. Two popular, famous New Testament scholars, William Barclay and then Ben Withington III, both have this in their commentary. I wanted to read it. Give that quote. Uh, William Barclay says in the commentary, it says, the church of nativity had doors that were so low that you had to bend over. It is supremely fitting that those who approach Jesus do it on their knees. You have to humble yourself to enter. Uh, they believed that we found where Jesus was born. Actually, it wasn't a barn. It was like a cave with like a stable next to it. And there's actually a church there. It's called the Church of the Nativity. You can go to Bethlehem today, and there's a church on top of where they believe Jesus was born. That church's doors has doors so low, you have to bend down and go all the way through. Because they believe whoever approaches Jesus must humble themselves and must come bending over. Because it's from the story of the Magi. I've come to bow. I've come to kneel. I've come to give. I've come to serve. I've come to sacrifice. Why? Because the one in the center deserves my gifts. And maybe for many of you, this Christmas, you know what the gift Jesus wants to give you? Is to decenter you. Now this is where I want to end. Many of us in the room, our heart, our desire is to worship like the Magi. I think we all want that. But this is what's scary. My, my word lately um, has been silly. I think we're silly people. I think we're silly people. Because we lie to ourselves thinking we are not able to compartmentalize our life. So this is what, this is where I want to end. I want you to hear me. Okay, these are my three options, to seek like Herod, seek like the priest, seek like the Magi. This is what's hard to hear, is you can seek like the Magi in certain areas of your life and seek like Herod in other areas of your life. Because you are a compartmentalized person and you might worship him with your time, but you kill him when he touches your money. You might worship him with your today, but you will kill him if he touches your tomorrow. This is what is so hard, is we can be all three in one day in different areas. Oh, I'm worshiping him on Sundays, but by Monday, I'm ignoring him. And by Thursday, if he touches that area, I will kill him out of that area. But Jesus, look at this area. I worship like the Magi over here. He will not settle for anything but lordship. Not over a area, over all areas. So today, I want to ask you, in which area, how are you seeking? Because his goal is that we would seek him like the Magi in all areas. Today, God is coming to put his finger on some areas in your life where you worship like Herod. How you, you will not 
touch this area. This is my throne. He's coming to dethrone you today. You just flat out ignore him. Don't even think about him. Ignore him. He's coming to wake you up today. And I end with this quote. Dallas Willard says this. We don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it was true. So you be in the room and you're like, oh yeah, I worship like the Magi. Does your life act like what you believe? Oh, we are silly creatures. We lie to ourselves up here. Knowing good and well, our life does not act like what we believe. So the question is not today, do you believe like the Magi? It's does my life act and live like what I claim I believe? Because we can lie to ourselves. Oh, I believe it. No, you don't, because you don't act like it. Today, I'm believing this room is be filled with Magi that have come to bow and worship. If you're in the room today and you're far east, come home. If you've been seeking like Herod and saying, get out, get out, get out, kill, 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 don't touch these areas, he's coming to dethrone you today. Because we are called to seek like the Magi. If our ministry has been a blessing to you at all, whether through the podcast, online, or through socials, would you consider partnering with us financially to help us continue blessing people and reaching people with the gospel of Jesus? If you'd like to do so, you can go online to rosechurch.org give. Thank you so much for partnering with us and helping us continue to do what God has put in our hearts here for you.